British Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by MTD, MFG and Jefferson. Hello and welcome to the Great British Manufacturing Podcast. On this week's podcast, we discuss the positive British manufacturing news from the last seven days and introduce another special guest. This week, we welcome Liam Conway, who is Head of Sales at Control Energy Cost. Before we do so, I just want to mention Factory Now. The Factory Now initiative has been launched to help the British manufacturing sector boost sales, collaborate and reshore. New members such as SJG International, a family-run business that has grown from a gasket manufacturing company to a leading manufacturer of rubber exclusions, gaskets, foam conversions are joining all the time. Link to Factory Now site is mtdmfg.com forward slash Factory Now. Stuart, welcome to the podcast. We've got, we've got a bit to get through this week. Certainly have some great stories. Really looking forward to it, Joe. Yeah, let's uh, let's get straight on with it because we've got lots this week. Uh, submarine program, the Dreadnought, it's uh, secured further funding. Great news, this one. Certainly is. BAE Systems and Rolls-Royce, they've been awarded new contracts worth more than £2 billion to build the Royal Navy's largest ever submarines. With a supply chain spend of £7.5 billion across 1,500 UK companies, the £31 billion Dreadnought program supports almost 30,000 British jobs. BAE Systems, they've invested over £1 billion in advanced technology and upgraded infrastructure at Paris Shipyard to, to enable um, on Dreadnought. And there's going to be a further £450 million spent over the life of the program. Continuing the submarine theme, Rolls-Royce have got a new academy opening in, in Derby. Yeah, this is all part of its drive to boost nuclear capability in the UK and to create a pipeline for nurturing talent right at the start of their careers. Rolls-Royce Submarines has committed to 200 new apprenticeships every year for at least a decade. So do the math, it's 2,000 new apprentices. Fantastic news. Um, based in Derby, the new Nuclear Skills Academy will be supported by industry and education experts, including the Nuclear Advanced Manufacturing Research Centre, University of Derby and Derby City Council. And this will ensure the new apprentices have access to the best courses and mentors throughout their apprenticeships. Wonderful, wonderful news. Uh, and the next one, it's uh, Green Lithium. They're set to build a new plant here in the UK. What, what can you tell us about this one? Yeah, the UK's first lithium factory, which aims to supply European electric car and battery makers, has secured significant new investment. The refinery, which is set to be built in, in northern England by Green Lithium, will source raw materials from Trevega, um, one of, which is one of the world's largest metal traders as part of the agreement. Trevega also plans to sell the finished product made by, by the 50,000 tonne a year plant to customers in Europe. And for people who don't know, there isn't, there isn't currently a commercial lithium refinery in Europe, um, leaving the continent's growing electric vehicle and energy storage sectors reliant on China's plants. Yeah, it would be good news, wouldn't it, for sure. Um, last week, we, we, took, we touched on an Airbus investment story, didn't we? But there's a lot more details of uh, come around in the last seven days. What can you tell us now? Yeah, absolutely. As, as, as you say, we, we touched on it last week. Airbus set to invest £100 million expanding capacity its Broughton Wind Manufacturing Plant to support a ramp-up in aircraft production. This investment is expected to create more than 500 jobs at the North Wales site. The West Factory, which uh, historically has built wings for the A380, which is discontinued, will be repurposed as a wing assembly plant for the aerospace manufacturer's A320 family single aircraft um, as part of the investment programme. So again, I'm sure we will be revisiting this as, as more details emerge, but I thought we would you know, be good to have an update this week. 
So now let's take a brief pause from this week's Positive UK Manufacturing News and introduce this week's special guest, who is the Head of Sales at Control Energy Costs, Liam Conway. Liam, thank you for joining us. Hi, Joe. Yeah, uh, thanks for coming on. Obviously, there's a lot in the news, you know, and in, in various tr uh, trade publications about, uh, in, you know, industry, commercial energy costs. So this is a very apt, a great time to be joining us. But before we get on with that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your current role and responsibilities, please? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm the head of sales at Control Energy Costs. Um, I've been with the business for seven and a half years doing doing various roles. And I now head up the sales function in terms of a new client acquisition and also supporting our uh, our market analysts with uh, client renewals. It, uh, it's, it's a very interesting and I'd probably use the word challenging, challenging time. It's probably the, the most challenging time that we've we've had as a business. But so the business is uh, 41 years old, so a very well established business. We have circa 600 clients across the UK, across all sectors, but our, our, um, our largest sector by quite some way is, is manufacturing. And sort of until recently, I, I said that the vast majority of our clients spent between sort of a hundred thousand pounds and a million pounds a year was probably two thirds of our, of our client base and we help them with lots of things associated to energy, but the, the, the main element of our business is helping our clients procure and secure supply contracts in the best possible way. But ever increasingly, Joe, we're, you know, we're helping them with the much wider energy picture. And that's around, you know, net zero, how do we become more sustainable? How do we become more efficient? How do we use less? How do we become greener? How do we monitor our energy consumption and help change the behavior within our business? You know, how, how do we start that journey? Because, you know, lots of, lots of our clients and manufacturers are aware of that stuff. But it's, you know, how, how do we start that journey? So we help them with, with that as well. Morning, Liam. It's Stuart. Thanks for joining us uh, today. As you both said, very opportune time for us to, uh, for you to come on to the podcast. The state of the energy market as it stands, would you mind just giving us an overview of that, please, Liam? And also, what are the challenges for manufacturers with the levels of increases they are facing? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it's, it's no shock that we are in, you know, I would describe it as an energy crisis, really. Um, and the pace at which this has happened has been phenomenal. Um, it was exacerbated massively by you know, the Russia-Ukraine situation. But the, the state of the energy market, and this is across both electricity and gas, is that the wholesale cost of both of those has increased significantly. I mean, to give you an idea, at its worst, we were seeing contracts going out to clients, six, seven, 800% cost increases. Um, and the state of the market is, is very complex and it's very volatile. I mean, again, you know, people will have seen that there are a number of suppliers who have essentially gone, gone bust. 
And whilst they are predominantly in the domestic supply arena, all of that has a massive knock-on effect to the commercial market because ultimately the, the suppliers that are less have left have to bear the cost of that. And ultimately, like most things, that then is passed on to the to the to the customer. So I guess in short that the state of the market is hugely volatile, hugely complex, and the wholesale cost of energy has increased massively. And I guess one thing just to just to touch on as we were just uh, talking before we, we, we came live is that a lot of the news focuses on the domestic markets and the price cap. And I think it's worth just touching on the fact of making people aware that the commercial market does not have a price cap. So whilst, whilst consumers are, you know, relatively protected from what is going on, although they're facing huge increases, the commercial market have been that's really in the fact that um, they're, they're, they're having to deal with it now and the huge increases now. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, thanks for, I think it's a very relevant point and a very important distinction there between the domestic and comer- commercial market, uh, Liam. What advice would you give manufacturers and, you know, to sharpen up their energy purchasing as it now forms, you know, a far bigger cost to them than, than ever before? It, it definitely does. It's interesting. So um, just touching on that. So um, we, we typically deal with you know, MDs, FDs of, of, of businesses um, and their decision making processes used to be fairly quick, you know, a, a week or two, two used to be able to you know, turn things around. Just on the size of the increase, their decision making process has just taken longer, really just because they're trying to grasp the severity of it and what on earth worth they can they can do in terms of sharpening up their energy purchases i think businesses need to in my view do far more due diligence than they perhaps did previously and what i mean by that is ensuring that they're working with a partner and a broker who is giving them an accurate representation of the market and giving them all of their purchasing options, not just you know what what most have always done, which is you know we'll do it three, six, twelve months before our renewal, and we'll just fix all of our energy for the next three years. Those days, in our opinion, are are dead and dead and buried, really. But in terms of sharpening up how they purchase, so we're. We're advising more clients than ever to look at a flexible um, purchasing framework, which essentially means that they don't have to purchase all of their energy on one day. And it allows them to spread their risk by basically buying chunks at a time to build up that final delivered price. And it's if you know if people who are listening purchase foreign exchange, it's a very similar similar approach but it's one that most businesses and particularly manufacturers haven't really taken advantage of but in our view it is one of the only ways of trying to mitigate what is in some cases a pretty bleak picture. No sound advice there Liam and um, related matters final question from me how is credit affecting the ability to to get a supply contract how how is that impacting manufacturers and related industries? Yes, it's um, 
again, that is challenging, I guess, challenging is the word of the day, really. Um, so what we're seeing is that suppliers, their appetite for risk has um, decreased significantly and they're struggling from their side to get credit insurance to write the contract. And if you just think about, you know, let's take someone who was spending previously £200,000 a year, that spend could now be six, £700,000 a year. So the, you know, the value of that contract has increased significantly and there is risk attached to that from the supplier. So we are seeing far more pushback from suppliers and they're wanting greater visibility um, and engagement from manufacturers uh, before agreeing to a contract. So that could be things like providing um, management accounts. It could be things like providing draft accounts before they're filed at, at company house and um, some running commentary from the business about the state of the business to assess whether they're, whether they're able to offer contracts. And again, if you just think about the, the state of the market in that, you know, let's let's say typically we might get responses from 15 suppliers to attempt to attend a well, now you might get three or four, and that's sort of the appetite from from the market to, to take on take on business. So I guess as a word of warning to people, you know, don't be offended if, if suppliers are asking for greater visibility of, of accounts to assess. Um, a, if they're a, if they're willing to offer you a contract, and B, I guess from their point of view, if we offer a contract, do we think that you know, this business has the actual ability to 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 pay that long term? Yeah, that, that's fascinating. So even suppliers are getting uh, are getting nervous. I guess they're still they're, they're just part of the supply chain, aren't they? That's essentially they're buying it themselves, aren't they? So they're they've obviously got risk their end. Um, but you mentioned the flex the flexible purchasing framework. Just if you can quickly go over that again, just briefly, what is it, and why are more and more manufacturers moving towards the flexible purchasing framework? Yeah. So. Sort of, we, we used to class a large client to us as sort of a million pound plus spend, and the vast majority of those were purchasing via a flexible framework, probably simply on the basis that for them it made up you know a larger percentage of um, their, their budget and or you know, turnover, and they were probably just a slightly more sophisticated buyer. But what 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 we did uh, recently is launch a what we call a, a basket is a collective purchasing strategy so that our typical client who wouldn't normally be able to get a flexible contract because they would just be under the um, consumption uh, limits to, to, to get one, we opened up a basket which basically meant that we could group lots of uh, manufacturers and, and other businesses together to give them the ability to access the wholesale market which essentially meant that we could work with them to set up a strategy on when they bought their energy. And if you just think of, about the build, sort of I explain it, sort of building blocks really. So, you know, we could purchase 10%, then 20%, then 30%, then 50%, and then you've got 100%, but you may make those purchases weeks, months, or in some cases, years apart with the idea of spreading your risk but the idea really is that when a, a market opportunity presents itself, that you can act quickly 
to take advantage of that. And the other uh, real benefit for people in the short term, so people who've got contracts in the next couple of months, you know, their, their options are pretty limited because you're just at the mercy of the market as it as it is now. Um, and what we're recommending for the majority of our clients is just to let the energy float and just take what we call the day ahead price. Because when we're looking at that uh, retrospectively, that is has been a cheaper way to buy than buying it upfront. And for most manufacturers, that is a complete sort of mind shift in terms of strategy. So they have to be aware of, I guess, the risks associated to that. But again, make sure that you're working with somebody who is talking you through all of the options and not just coming to you and saying, right, it's time to sign a three-year fixed contract. Because if that's sort of all your broker is, is doing, then I would really question if they're doing the right thing for you as a business. Sure. And that was my next point, really. Uh, control energy costs, been around a long time. Clearly, they've got an outstanding reputation. But um, what should people look for in a partner and what advice should they be given manufacturers at the moment? I, I still describe the energy brokerage market as the Wild West, really, um, because it's, unregula- it's an unregulated market. So while suppliers are regulated, the broker market is unregulated and as a result um there are a fair number of cowboys sharks call them what you will in in the sector and some of them are some pretty big businesses actually for people who are listening to this it's probably the people who are calling you five times a day saying you've got to do stuff got to do stuff now we can guarantee we can lower your 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 cost it's all utter utter nonsense um so what to look for in a partner? I think you need to look for um, transparency of of their fees and their commission. I guess just as an education piece, so the the, the vast majority of, of brokers will earn a, a, a commission and a fee for the energy contracts, but you as a client ultimately pay that, and it's built into the unit rate that you that you pay. So the more that a broker builds into that, and it doesn't have that cost doesn't have to be declared, the more they will earn, and the longer they can sign that contract for, again, the more they will earn because they'll be earning for longer. So I would definitely say that you need to be asking for a transparency of fees, and do they offer good good value for money? So what else are they doing for you? If if a broker is just coming to you, as I've sort of said throughout this podcast if they're just coming to you a couple of months before and you're all saying right time to do it again for another three years and they're not they're not looking at other stuff for you they're not talking to you about you know net zero they're not talking about how you become green they're not talking to you about how you monitor your energy they're not talking to you about how you have visibility of data all that stuff are they really a true true partner for you you know ask ask them how much commission they have earned in the last 12 months you you might be surprised on that um, and sort of what I was saying at the start, just just think about the type of person and or organisation that you want to partner with, and probably just do your your background checks on them. You know, if if you're, as I said at the start, you know, if you're getting 
pestered and harassed daily by somebody in a call centre somewhere. And you can tell, you know, who what, what type of calls they are. You know, do you really want to be working with somebody like that? Do you really want to be putting hundreds of thousands, in some case millions, of a purchasing decision in the hands of somebody who you don't really know? Um, so get get visibility on who you're working with. Uh, and you know, check them out and send to check them. And, and, in, and in the world where we're perhaps not seeing people as face-to-face as much, I, I try and do, you know, still do face-to-face meetings, but get on Teams calls and Zoom calls with, with them. Get get a sense of what they're truly, truly like. Um, I, I'd say that's the, a very sensible thing to be to be doing. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Um, and just a final one for me, really. Are there any common mistakes businesses make in purchasing energy? Not just at the moment, but obviously, you know, previously as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the biggest mistake that people make is is partnering with the wrong organisation to help them. So, you know, I have countless examples of clients who um, have been well and truly stung on supply contracts. I'll give you an example. So, so we, we, we have a, a client who we're now working with who the, the broker they worked with previously, so this, this business, they spend about 600 grand a year on, on electricity. And we worked out that about 180,000 pounds of that every single year was going directly to the broker, which the business was paying for. Essentially commission. Exactly that. Hidden commissions. So the, the, the most common mistake that you make is partnering with the wrong person because as soon as you sign a supply contract good bad ugly or indifferent that's it you, you, you can't you can't do anything about it you can't get out of that that contract so the biggest mistake you can make is it is partnering with the wrong person and um believing everything that they say because some of these organizations out there Essentially, they're just glorified salespeople getting people to sign supply contracts or making an awful lot of money at the cost of you know, businesses and manufacturers and make sure that they're partnering with the right the, the right people. Establishing who those are in terms of you know, how do you establish the right person, each business will have to make their own, their own call on that. But I would say that is the most common mistake and increasingly now, you know, a, a common mistake perhaps would be just to be scared into purchasing all of your energy on one day for the next three years because somebody at the end of the phone is saying, you've got to do this now because rates are going up tomorrow. Just think about that stuff, really. Who's who's benefit who's benefiting from that, you or the person who's going to earn a, a fat load of commission from it? Yeah, no, no, that's uh, scary stuff. Well, it's that, that's sound advice, Liam. Thank you. Thank you very much. We've done a lot of these podcasts now, and I must admit, this is one of the more enlightening ones, possibly frightening as well, to be frank. But <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, good sound advice. Please keep up your good work, and, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Stuart, that's a fascinating interview. Um, yeah, some sound advice as well. No, absolutely. Um, such a pertinent time to, to, to do it so pleased that we have Liam on the podcast this week and as you say some fantastic advice for the manufacturing community mm-hmm. um, let's get on with um let's get on with some other manufacturers you know this particular one I, I imagine uses quite a lot of electric uh Vauxhall they're set to build a new facility at its Ellesmere port plant 
Yes, plans submitted by Vauxhall for a huge new warehouse and distribution building at its Cheshire site have been approved. Um, the 62,000 square metre purpose-built facility will be initially used as a hub for the storage and distribution of car parts for the company's UK and European markets. However, the planning application has also sought permission for industrial use, meaning that the site could eventually be repurposed as part of the company's £100 million plans to produce electric vehicles. And this expansion is expected to create around 125 new jobs. Good stuff. Uh, the next one, it, it's gone really well on social media. Again, images are really important, aren't they? There's some stunning images. Uh, there's positive news coming from Orbex this week. Yeah, as you say, yeah, unfortunately, it's a podcast, but the imagery is, is, is uh, extraordinary. British rocket manufacturer Orbex, they've unveiled the full-scale prototype of its prime orbital space rocket on its dedicated launch pad. And this is the first micro-launcher developed in Europe to, to reach this stage of technical readiness. Designed for launching small satellites, which the UK is a world leader in, the rockets will be launched from Space Hub Sutherland, which should be operational later on this year. Um, Aston Martin has started building a new model at its Welsh plant, hasn't it? Again, it's another stunning vehicle from, from Aston Martin. No, absolutely. The British Mark's new DBX 787 model, um, which is touted as the world's most powerful luxury SUV, has entered production at St. Athen, set to be exported to more than 50 countries. Over 100 jobs have been created at the Welsh site to support the ramp-up. And this is the first Welsh-built production car for almost 50 years. Top speed of 183 miles per hour. Uh, you can find a road and uh, it can accelerate 0 to 16 just just over three seconds. That'd be perfect, wouldn't it, to skid over the top of all the uh, all the, <laughs> the all the potholes we have on the on, on the local roads. And uh, th this next one, it's going to be great with the uh, with the sun finally coming and su summer is nearly upon us. But Molson Calls has announced a significant investment in its Suffolk site. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the North American drinks giant, David, um, has increased its asphalt cider production facilities capacity by nearly 60%, which is equivalent to 60 million pints, with a £13 million three-year invest investment programme. The investment included construction of a new fermentation building to modernise the process and reformatting of the tank farm, where the cider is blended and stored to create space for future expansion. And very welcome news, considering Aspel has been making cider at the same Suffolk site for nearly 300 years. It's wonderful news to say, just as uh, good timing with the sun coming out. I'd love to see the stats on cider consumption in the summer. I don't know anyone that drinks it in the winter. But yeah, no, an interesting point. But that's all we've got time for this week, Stuart. As always, there's more news at the website, mtdmfg.com. Unfortunately, we don't get time to cover everything on these shows. Uh, a big thank you to you, Stuart, as always. Um, Liam Conway of Control Energy Costs, uh, an insightful interview, and I'm sure we'll have him back. But as always, the biggest thank you goes to you guys for listening at home. We'll see you next week. Thank you.